You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Secret Rooms. Definitive Edition. Chapter 11. The Old Timer. From the Journal of Private Abigail Gray, West Virginia, October 15th, 1882. At the camp entrance, Sergeant Butler was saying his goodbyes as we prepared to set out. He would be in Washington by the time we returned. You be safe now, Annie. I will, my darling. I got these here sidearms and my rifle. Plenty of ammo and a great set of ears and eyes. Nothing's getting by me. Hope I see you again, James. Likewise. Frank, I feel I should apologize for... Think nothing of it, sir. I have written it off as the most natural of responses for a man such as yourself. You just keep those senses sharp and watch out for these ladies. Of course. It has been an honor serving my first few days with you. Remember to watch him, sweetheart. Especially around the Wendigo. He needs to focus on just killing the things. He'll be no problem. And I hope to see you later too, Miss Gray. Make some shrewd decisions. Ask James what I said about the head and the heart along the way. Yes, sir. We traveled northwards first to avoid passing too close to Charleston, which was still plagued with a Wendigo population of unknown scale. We passed through West Virginia, mercifully riding in coaches in the procession to save our horses and our behinds. James and I also got our full enlistment that morning, so it looks like we're a couple of bona fide privates now. I spent most of my time conversing with Tabitha, who has proved most agreeable company. The road forked southeast at Clendenin and threaded down through the countryside. While we were resting there, a toothless and surprisingly lively old timer named Malloy sat out on his rickety porch and furnished Tabitha James, the captain, and I with a tall tale or two. I was out at dusk, digging a grave at the cemetery for old Silas Garber, God rest his sinful, skinflint soul. When up out of the trees comes this figure, a brown man. A former slave, do you think? No, not a negro. I mean, his skin was all brown and mottled like a toad, except he had him some wings under them arms. I knew right then that I was a-looking at a half-man, half-moth. Do you mean one of the creatures? We call them Wendigos now. Was it hugging the ground like this? Young lady, I know a half-man, half-moth when I sees one. This weren't a wendigo, neither. Those boys are all teeth and claws. This fellow was rocking to and fro as he walked, like he weren't meant for this earth. Legs turned back like a dog's. As he cleared the trees, I caught sight of his face. His eyes were just two black pits looking right through me. And when he raised those arms, he took off from the ground just like a June bug. No run-up or nothing. Went sailing right over my head and disappeared into the sunset. He flew? That's right. One of your Wendigos ever do that? Not in any of the records I've read. Captain? Oh, there's plenty of reports. We just haven't had them confirmed. Oh, there's a surprise. What's that, Private Penrose? Entirely nothing. Well, all right now. 
How'd I go about filing one of these here reportings? I think we're doing it right now. Do you mind if I write all this down? You want to hear about the white tiger? James had his head in his hands at this stage. Tabitha, however, was enjoying herself immensely and she nudged me on. We would. Yes, please. Well, really, I'd need my son-in-law, Colby, to come explain it to you. But since he's not here right now, I guess I'll have to tell his story. Was it in the woods? Sure was. Having a drink down by the stream some ten or eleven furlongs over yonder. About seven years ago. Can you describe this tiger to us in detail? Oh, enormous it was. Big as a bear with immense paws bristling with razor-sharp claws. Snowy white coat with stripes as black as midnight. Bright green eyes burning like emerald marsh fire. Colby was hiding up a tree in seconds. He didn't come down till morning. It's a shame, really. What? What happened? Absolutely nothing. The beast finished its evening drink and slunk off into the shadows. Colby's been back to that spot at least once a month ever since. Should have been a little braver on the night. He's a fur trapper. I ask you, how luxurious would a white tiger skin coat look on me? Would I not be the prettiest fella in town, consarnet? He smiled broadly, revealing all three of his teeth and waggling his eyebrows. We talked some more about a local beast named the Green Monster, but he seemed of only passing familiarity, admitting to having never seen it himself either, describing it with increasingly ludicrous body details. Head of an ox, legs of a ram, body of a great big frog, green and scaly all over and hung all about with swamp grass, with a back all ridged with poisonous spines. It makes a whistling noise you should listen out for, and if you pass by a certain nearby bridge on a Sunday without crossing yourself, it leaps out at you and gobbles your soul right down like a ham. Well, thank the good Lord it's a Thursday, and we'll be long gone from here by then. No offense intended, sir, but this sounds like the most monster-infested town I've ever encountered. And I am a professional monster hunter. Oh, I'll bet there are places far stranger than this out there, young lady. These redcaps, wisps, and ghouls have been sleeping in their hollows for centuries and longer, emerging once in a while to frighten the bejesus out of unsuspected twerps like Colby. But now they're awake, and I don't think they'll be too happy to go back to bed again. Something about the conviction in his voice and the sudden solemnity of his eyes as he surveyed the four of us took me aback here. He wasn't trying to scare or entertain four strangers anymore. Then quick as a whip he was back to talking about a lasting feud between him and the local fishmonger and it appeared our show was over. We left Clendenin behind and made camp by the roadside that evening, the caravans in a circle the stars wheeling overhead and a group of lookouts standing watchful all through the night. Tabitha, you sleep like this often? 
We try to sleep. We can be fallen upon at any minute. Patrol comes by here in a few months' time. All they find is the wagons. All of us just... Disappeared. Taken by the wild. It happens. I'm feeling kind of antsy here. You got something to calm my fluttering heart? I can tell you a story. I think we had our fill of them today. That's what's got my head bouncing with goblins and werewolves. How about I tell you something about me, and you tell me something about you? Deal. I'll go first. Okay. Okay. When I was little, I always used to ask my daddy about the war. What had he gone through? How many men had he killed? What had he seen? He said he didn't want to give me nightmares. Never breathed a word of it. I used to find things out about places and battles he may have been at, and I'd casually drop them into conversations around supper time, but he never took the bait. Not once. Then one day, when I was eleven, after years of my nagging, he took me up on a hill, not too far from here now, just this quiet, sunny day on a hill with my daddy. And he told me everything, all at once, just this unending stream of horror imparted to my little mind while the birds chirped away in the trees. And after that couple of hours, I was no longer fascinated by war. He had this cold, detached view of it, and his eyes were far away the whole time. Then when he came back, I hugged him and apologized from the very bottom of my heart for my years of endless, insensitive questioning. That was when he taught me to fight. After that, we'd go up on the hill and he'd square off against me. My daddy was a boxer. He could hit hard and he wasn't satisfied till I was hitting back just as hard as he was. We used to come back down with black eyes and split lips and, hey, look, he knocked out this tooth one time. My mother used to go off at us both something fierce, but I was the toughest kid in town. You know what, Tabitha? What? I've been thinking back to that time I apologized to him and wondering what happened to that girl. Sounds like he beat her out of you. But I'm alive now. And I wonder what would have happened if the Wendigos had shown up and I had no idea how to fight or shoot or run or climb or lead. If I'd been a gentle lady, I might be no more. You might be right. So many of the delicate, and especially the rich, just didn't make it. You see them mostly in Washington, but their money didn't buy them much after a short while. You can't do a whole lot with gold or paper or promises, and their hired hands frequently didn't love them enough to stick around. Nowadays, you get more powerful farmers because they're coming up with something people want and need. You produce something that's needed, play right with the government, and have the people skills to influence others, you can be a queen of this age. You still haven't told me anything about you yet. What do you want to produce, Tabitha? 
This ad for beautiful music. Zinc. For the telegraph was? Absolutely. There will be no metal more precious over the next few years. As soon as I find a town that sat on top of a zinc mine, I'm making it my personal business to be their government liaison. Why, Miss Tabitha, you got a head on your shoulders. That's a great plan. You'll be running that joint in no time. Thank you. My first concern will be to make sure the people of that town get the fairest price for their work. Then establish a healthy line of barter trade with the neighboring settlements, spider webbing out over the east. Best part of it is, the better we do, the more telegraph wire is produced, the more people end up talking as a result. I'm going to keep my eyes open for just such a town. How will I let you know? I mean... I mean, Tabitha, will we see each other again? We may just. How? You can keep track of where 12th Company is stationed across the network. Often we go a little ahead of the wires, but we always come back around. I'm going to miss you. I mean, right now you might be my only friend. What about James? We're... Whoa, that's a whole other thing. I probably... I mean, it's pretty private. When the fingers of dawn pushed up over the hills, we were still talking softly. After another day of traversal and discourse, we rested in Summersville, the last known outpost for quite some way. I bid a final farewell to Tabitha here. But since we'd already said our goodbyes in the early hours, it hurt a lot less than I'd expected. Besides which, I had my hometown to focus on, and my stomach was turning in apprehension. The captain led the way on horseback now, over ridges and alongside lines of golden trees. We crossed the Kanawha River at Smithers, a bridge town I remember well. It was empty. I began to panic. We have to press on. How many miles, Abigail? It's getting late. I don't know. Ten more? If we gallop? We're not rushing. We go flying off into the dusk and unknown territory, and before you know it, we're lost and can't find a safe, quiet, defensible place to sleep. We're alone now, Private. I thought you said I was making the decisions this time. How many miles is it, really? Eighteen. You can't make these horses run flat out for more than ten miles. They'll drop dead of exhaustion. So are we galloping there? No. We'll rest here for the night and move on tomorrow morning. Good choice. James, let's get these animals inside. We need to hide all traces of ourselves out here. Any noise or light, smoke or too much movement... And we could be in real trouble. I sat at the loft window of the barn we'd hold ourselves up in. It was clean and dry enough, but it creaked worryingly. A lot of rain had fallen in this town, and nobody had been around for years to maintain it. The captain sat at the opposite side, propped up against the wall, her hat over her eyes. She seemed sound asleep, yet every so often her hands strayed to her pistols. She was listening intently for the sounds of encroachment. 
Dawn rose again, and we roused ourselves unharmed. The final leg of the journey has been the most fraught. I am near delirious from lack of sleep. The light is more harsh, stabbing at my eyes, and familiar terrain keeps looming out of the sunshine, materializing as ghosts of earth. Even the smells are an uncanny assault upon my poor nerves. One that I've dearly missed is the fireweed, which has come back to meet me upon the hillside where I used to play. And all of a sudden, with the surety of routine, we crested the final hill, and at the end of the winding road below, I saw the houses and streets of Clearwater spread out before me. Mama. Daddy. You have been listening to episode 11 of Secret Rooms. The Old Timer. Written and directed by Alexander Shaw. Abigail Gray performed by Sharon Shaw. Annie Oakley performed by Loretta Saylor. James Penrose and Malloy, performed by Alex Shaw. Tabitha Chorley, performed by Maureen Foley. And Frank Butler, performed by Spencer Lieb. One Wild West, composed and performed by Edward Blakely of Shockwave Sound. Shores of Avalon and Ossuary, composed and performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Make Your Decision, by Dan Phillipson of Shockwave Sound. Many soundscapes by Tabletop Audio. Our $15 patrons get sponsor credit every episode, so thank you too. Joel Robinson, Benjamin Biddle, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, Angus Lee, Marty Huey, David Sheely, Kevin Vahey, Daniel Salguero, Connor Kennedy, Brian Novak, Evan Jankowski, Sarah Montgomery, Dan Hepner, Johan Clayson, Tyler Long, Joe Gasiga, Greg Downing, Tim Rosensky, Christopher Wolfe, Kat Esman, Cassandra Newman, Timothy Green, Matthew A. Siebert, Joseph Gluck, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Luksh, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Dashler, and Lorraine Chisholm. Just before we go, it is worth pointing out that the first book in Phase 2 of New Century has just been released, Uncivil Outlaw. And this is the first one that I am doing without the audio adaptation coming first. So that's Uncivil Outlaw, now available on Amazon, via the Kindle store, or a beautiful paperback edition. And this one is a gripping, page-turning political thriller, but it's also filled with mayhem, action, and humour. So if you've read or listened up to Steamheart, this book is your next port of call. And if you've already read it, Uncivil Outlaw could do with a few reviews. Thank you.